0: We're in Hebrews chapter 3, the last part, and it's a warning. It's a warning. Remember I, I said Hebrews is written, written to three groups of people. It's written to uh, the first group are believers, Jewish people who have intellectually bought in, and they're all in with their heart, but they're struggling because they're being persecuted. They're being ostracized. They're being de They're kicked out of the synagogue, and they're struggling. And, and so they're wanting to go back to the rituals of Moses. To the rituals that Moses put in place. And, and they feel like by doing that, they will appease those Jewish brothers who aren't all in. And it will take away some of the pressure for them. And the writers saying, no, Jesus is enough. You don't need to go back to that. And so that's the first group. The second group are people that have intellectually bought in but it never penetrated their heart. There's no actions that demonstrate that they even really believe. They just intellectually buy into the fact that, yeah, he died on a cross. He, was the, he, he, he could have fulfilled these prophecies. Yeah, we believe, but there's no action in their life that would support that they really believe that. The third group isn't believing and there's no actions. And there's five warnings in the book. This is the second. Remember, the first one was back in chapter 2. And it was, be careful, don't drift. Watch out from drifting. And we talked about the scan. Remember, Jim, the flying, the scan illustration of heading out to airspeed. And we used looking at our time. What are we doing? Are we growing in our relationship with Christ? You know, looking at our priorities and our interest as a, as a thing to be scanning. And... And so that was the first warning, and it was given to group number two, because they were the ones who were saying they were in, but they didn't have a life that followed up and matched it. And now this week, we're looking at the second warning, and again, it's to that second group of people. And the, remember, the first group he addressed last week, remember in verses one through six, he's talking to believers. He says, holy brothers. Holy brothers. You who share in the calling. And he identifies that group and he, he's talking to him. And remember last week, we, we looked at the fact that uh, Jesus was greater than Moses. He's reminding that group last week that don't go back to the rituals. The rituals just foreshadowed the reality. Jesus is the reality. He was a greater priest than Moses. He was a greater <laughs> apostle than Moses. He was more faithful than Moses. And, and, and he was the son. Moses was just the servant. You know, and, and so all these people that were holding on to Moses, I don't know if you remember back in, um, I think it's John, where Jesus says, you don't really love Moses. I think it was John 5. You don't love Moses. If you love Moses, you'd love me. You don't believe him. And so he goes into this first part this week in chapter 3, verse 7. And he makes a very important statement for us as we look at uh, today. today. Last week it was consider Jesus. He said that in the first verse of the chapter 3. Consider Jesus. That word means to fix your gaze on, gaze intently. And, and he's going this week, he starts off with an illustration from the Old Testament. But what he's dealing with this week is from drifting, if you keep drifting, eventually you're going to get to disbelief. In other words, if you've been exposed to the Gospel and you're toying around with it, but it doesn't impact your life, you're going to start drifting from that and you're eventually going to drift to disbelief. Especially when your eyes go off of Him. You see, people were sharing the Gospel and they they were engaged. They were talking to Him and they're kind of... Wrestling with it, they, yeah, they, they buy him, but it hasn't impacted their life, and then they start to drift away, and eventually they drift in unbelief. And so he makes uh, some pretty important statements in this text today. And I want us to look at three things that God's warning us about in this text: One, that His word is ageless and, and it's authoritative in our life. It's our authority. His word is ageless and our authority. It doesn't matter whether you believe it's your authority or not. It doesn't matter whether you believe it's ageless. How many, you know how many times I've heard from people that you know what God's words really—it's—it's it's not relevant today. That—that that was then, and He takes a passage from the Old Testament that happened a thousand years prior to this time, which is referencing something that happened four hundred years prior to that, and it's the same principle. And he uses the same story to tell people his word. His word is authoritative, and it has consequences when you disobey it. So, his word is a it, listen, these are timeless principles. And that's what he's saying, first thing. The second thing he's saying is that our hearts are guarded through alertness and accountability. That's what guards our hearts. You you don't just float through life and have your heart be guarded. In other words, if you don't pay attention to your heart, guess what's going to happen? You're going to drift. And eventually that drift will lead to disbelief if if you're only in up here. And you've got to have accountability. And he's talking about in the context of community. Community. You, you need accountability, guys. Nobody who goes through life within, without somebody to help them, everybody needs a wingman. And if you don't have that person, what's going to happen is Satan comes along and he's crafty, he's tricky, and he will get you just like that because you think you can do life on your own. And he, he points that out in this passage. In fact, it's instructive. It's an imperative. An imperative means A command. It's it's not an option to not have people in your life that hold you accountable. That's not an option for you as a believer if you're a believer. And then the third thing is our faith is proven by our action and our allegiance. If your actions don't match up to what you say, then you don't really believe what you say. Because what we believe is ultimately what lived out in our life. And and that ultimately reflects our allegiance to who we're loyal to. And he brings that out. So, let's read the text. And we're going to come back and look at this. And if we don't get through all of it, we'll come back after Thanksgiving and finish it up. Because uh, this this is a very important passage. A lot of people get confused. Remember I told you, if you don't get the audience right, you get confused on stuff in this in passage. This, uh, passage. So let's read uh, chapter 3, verse 7 down to 19. And we're going to come back and we're going to look at these and kind of unpack them a little bit. Starting in verse 7. Therefore, now when that's there, you got to go back, right? And what did he just talk about? Remember he talked about the week before that um, Jesus was greater than Moses as a priest, as a prophet, as a Everything. He was greater than Moses. He was more faithful than Moses. And he was a son. Because he was the son, and because he was greater than Moses, he says this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, as the Holy Spirit says, that's a direct statement of the inspiration of this scripture right here. And he's quoting Psalm 95, which is quoting from, or, or really dealing with a situation back in Exodus. So when He says that, now the Holy Spirit through the text has just validated the inspiration of the text back in Psalm 95 and in Exodus. And in Exodus 16, Exodus 17. And it's great, isn't it? People want to know, well, how do you know this is God's Word? He just said. The Holy Spirit said. And so, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and they saw my works for they saw my works for 40 years therefore i was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart they have not known my ways as i swore in my wrath They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That fall away is really the word for apostasy, departing. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. May God bless his word. Did you hear the word today in that passage? Not once, not twice but more than two or three times you heard it in this passage he said today 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 and what he's saying is you got to make a decision my dad would say you got to get off the pot okay you you got to do something with what you've been given and what the Holy Spirit is saying here is that God's word is ageless to us, It's timeless, because He quotes from Psalm ninety-five verses seven through eleven. And if you go back to that passage in Psalm ninety-five, that was about a thousand years before, and King David is telling the people this. He's this is a, a psalm, is a song, but it's also instructive, sometimes. It's just David reflecting Psalm 95, verse 7-11 through 11 is what he's quoting. But let's go back before verse 7 and listen to what it says in verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let us bow down. Let us kneel. He's our God. We are the people of his pasture. And then David says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. Meribah means rebellion or quarreling. And it goes back to Exodus chapter 16 and 17. And I'm going to go back there in a minute. And it goes on to say, as on the day at Masa in the wilderness, Masa means testing, to test God. When your fathers put me to the test and they put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. And they've not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. And that's exactly what happened. Back in Exodus chapter... By the way, every Sabbath, every Sabbath, that passage is read. Do you know that in the synagogue? Every Sabbath, that passage was read. Today, don't harden your heart as in the rebellion. Today. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 16, <clears throat> let, let's set the picture here for, for those of you who may not be familiar with the, what happened. The children of Israel were in Egypt. They were slaved and enslaved for 400 years. They were having to make straw and bricks, and I mean, take straw and make bricks, and they were having to work for the Egyptian people, even though one of their own was the number two guy in all the country. Remember the story Joseph? Slow. I mean, come on. You've seen Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? You know that story. Joseph sold into slavery, ascends up to the number two position. His uh, his dad and brothers and their family. Seventy people come, and they come into Egypt, into the land of Goshen, and they're there. And all of a sudden, a Pharaoh comes up who doesn't know who they are and doesn't care who they are. All he knows is they're a threat, so he enslaves them because they're multiplying like rabbits. And this seventy grew to six hundred thousand men and their families over the four hundred years. So over you know a million people there, and they're enslaved. And these are God's people, the people that God made a promise to their ancestors: "You you will have a land. You will bless the nations." You will bless the whole earth. And they're scratching their heads going, what's going on? And God raises up Moses. The guy we talked about last week. He preserves him from birth. Moses raised in the house of Pharaoh, but he didn't count himself worthy to take that stuff. And he goes to help his people. He ends up leaving, going in the desert. Comes back, has an experience with God out there as God's apostle to the people. And they're delivered over the, in the Passover. The plagues, the ten plagues, the Passover, they come out. They've been delivered after 400 years and they saw these amazing signs. Big old hailstones killing people. Sores bursting out on people. Things happening to the people of Egypt that weren't happening to them. God was protecting them, showing they are different. Miracle after miracle. Then they finally get allowed to leave. As they leave, they go through the Red Sea, and what happens? They look around, and there's Pharaoh coming after them. And they're screaming at Moses, Hey, hey, what are you going to do? We're out here, we're out here. And God takes the water and puts it back and delivers them again. And then they get out there. And listen what it says in Exodus 16. After that happens, Exodus 16. Looking at verse 2. Verse 2 of 16. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness. To kill this whole assembly with hunger. And you go, What? No faith. Really? Did you just say that? After you just saw everything that happened, and I'm going to tell you what the key word there is. They complained. They didn't ask, they complained. They grumbled. You see, and I think this is what we struggle with a lot. And God's so merciful to us. You see, we don't ask God. How many times in the New Testament did Jesus say, ask and you will receive? Ask and you will have? Ask anything in My name? Go to the Father and ask Him. Do we do it? Do we really do it? Come on. Let's be honest, guys. Do we really ask Him? Because, see, somewhere along the line, we've been misled. We're afraid to ask Him for things. We don't treat Him like a father. We treat Him like some little idol that we go to, that we put up on a stand. And we go to Him every now and then and we hope that He'll give it, but we don't really know. But do we really believe that He can do anything at any time at any place? How many times do we see Him do stuff and then we forget and we grumble? We complain. He brought you back from me. Oh, He did. But you know what? He cares... People, I get so tired sometimes because people, God doesn't care about that. You, you know, Roy, I pray over little things. Is anything too small for God? No. Now, if nothing is too big, nothing can be too small. So, my son called me. My son called me uh, like three days before I was going to India. And he said, Dad, um, do you still know anybody at the Jaguars? And I said, why? He goes, I want to go to the Tampa Bay game. It's our anniversary, and I want to bring my wife down, a Schaefer, and I want to go to the Jaguar game on December 1st. You think you can get some tickets for us? And so I said, because he said, I ain't got any money, but I'd like to go. And he said, you know, uh, one of the things they do is they bring in guys like me. He's a special ops guy in the Air Force, and they do flyovers, and they bring us in, and they let us control the flyover because they have to have a guy there to do that. And they give us tickets. You think you could tell them that's what I do? And I said, Ryan, I'd be happy to. Well, I called a friend of mine that used to be the chaplain. I asked him, did he know anybody? Maybe I could do the chapel service, you know, because I do chapels for visiting teams a lot of times, and they give you two tickets. And so I said, so I called uh, my chaplain friend and he's not the chaplain anymore. And he said they don't even have a chaplain in in Tampa anymore. And so I prayed a simple prayer it wasn't long. I said, Lord, you know, would you just do this? I said, I'd love to do their chapel just so I could get Ryan some tickets. It'd be fun to do. I even take him to the chapel. And so. That was my prayer. I called my friend, and not, but, but nothing happened. And so I'm on the way to the airport to go to India. I get on the plane. Two guys get in, and they, they're from the Jaguar parking lot. And I'm sitting by this guy who's one of the operations guys. And so I say, hey, my son is a, uh, a guy in the Air Force, and he controls aircraft. And I was wondering, do you guys do flyovers every game? And he goes, well, you know, not every game. In fact, we blew it big. The Blue Angels were in town. We didn't even get them to do a flyover that week. And, and he goes, but why, why do you ask? And so I told him, and, and he said, well, you know, I'll check. Well, I, that's it. So I'm walking up to the counter to get my luggage in. I'm thinking about smuggling $20,000 in now. <laughs> I'm not thinking about what I just asked the guy. And I hear, hey, hey. And he comes running up to me. He gives me his card. He says, does your son want to control the aircraft or does he just want to go to the game? I said, he just wants to go to the game. He said, tell him to email me and I'll get him tickets to the game. I took a picture of the card and sent it to Ryan just in case I didn't get back. I wanted him to have it. And, and I called him and I told him, I said, Ryan, I met this guy. So Ryan emailed him and the guy's got two tickets, it will call for him for the game. Now, that's a little thing. But what are the chances of me getting on a shuttle bus with the operations guy who's going up to Indianapolis? I mean, that's just coincidence, though, right? It gets better. So yesterday, I'm going to see my mother-in-law who had her knee replaced Monday and at the hospital, and I get a call. Hey, Doug, this is Chuck so-and-so. I'm a coach down with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you were recommended to me um, to do chapel. And I said, well, who recommended you? Was it the chaplain? Was it Anthony Johnson? He goes, no, actually, it was a a pastor that we'd used a couple of years ago, and he knows you'd do them too. And so he couldn't do it because he's doing a wedding. And so would you like to come do our chapel? And I'm like, I'd love to. That'd be great. So God didn't just give me two tickets, He gave me four tickets. (laughs) You rascal. (laughs) But but, but don't miss the point. He is a faithful God. His Word is timeless. He says ask, not complain. They complained. And He's giving them this Old Testament example that was 1,400 years earlier to say, you know what? Today, don't harden your heart like they did. Don't do that. In Exodus 17, they grumbled again about water. First, they grumbled about food. And He gave them food. Then they go and there's no water. And instead of just saying, God, we're thirsty. Would You give us some water? He, they didn't say that. Listen to this. 17, 1-6, Exodus. And I know we're not going to get through this, but that's okay. We're just going to... This is just, we got to slow down through this stuff. This is just too important for us. 17 All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, "Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord?" The same words, Meribah and Massah. But the people thirsted there for water and they grumbled against Moses and they said, "Why did you bring us up out of Egypt, again, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst?" There's no faith there. Their faith is so paper thin. It's not based on God at all. It's based on just what they want. Here's the thing. For the Israelites, the journey was slavery to the Passover lamb to the wilderness or the desert and the Promised Land. That was the path God had them on. For us, we're in bondage to sin. We're We're in our own Egypt, right? And He sent Christ to deliver us just like He sent the Passover lamb to do. Our time on earth, guys, is our wilderness. It's our desert. We're not in the promised land just because you trust Christ. And and we grumble and we complain. We Massah and we Meribah. And I think that's why Jesus in Matthew 4 goes out into the desert And he fasted. He was in the desert for 40 days and nights. And what does Satan do? He goes, hey, you're hungry. I know you're hungry. Why don't you turn those rocks into bread? And he tempted him to not deal with what God the Father wanted him to deal with. And so when you're in a desert experience, if you're there, And God hasn't delivered you, and you're His child. He has you there for testing. Because testing reveals truth. When you take a test in school, it reveals what you really know. When you go through any test on earth, it reveals what's really there. Anybody, uh, uh, there was a billionaire the other day, he said, I love Jesus more than money. I wonder if he'd say that if all his money was taken away. You see, it's easy to make these claims when you have things in your life that you can control most of your outcome and your your faith. I'm not. I don't want to question his faith. I just. I know it's very easy to say you love God when things go well. But when you're in the desert, that's when it really shows. When you're going through the tough times, that's when the trueness of your faith really comes out. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 8. This is where Jesus is quoting from when He's in Matthew 4. When He's out in the desert. Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. I don't understand, Doug. Why is it so hard? I don't understand why God never gives me this or why this happens to me. I pray and I pray and I pray and it just never seems to work out for me. Does that sound familiar? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to here to let us die here? We were better off near the meat pots there with a taskmaster whip on our back. Yeah. See, it always looks better to look back. But you know what? All these people who are sinning, they get blessed. This has been a lifelong struggle and an age-long struggle. He says, He wanted to test what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you, and He let you hunger, and He fed you with manna. Wait, who let Him hunger? Who, who let them hunger? God, why don't my business deals work out? Why is my relationships with my family messed up? Why are all these things falling down around me? He says, which you did not know or your fathers know that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He said, Your clothing didn't wear out on you, and your foot did not swell in these 40 years. Here's the thing, guys. Over in Numbers 13 at Kadesh Barnea, they were going on their way to the promised land. God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to send 10 guys. I want them to go spy off the land and come back and tell everybody what they see. How good it is. They come back. Ten guys. We can't go up there. They're bigger than us. There's no way we're going to make it. Did they realize that they saw God destroy the army of one of the most powerful civilizations back then? Egypt. The people in Kadesh Barnea were nothing compared to what they saw in Egypt. Yeah, they might have been big, but it, Egypt was a huge army and very powerful. But we can't go up there. Two guys, only two, came back and said, we can take them. And you remember their names. I guarantee you, nobody in here knows the names of the other ten, dead. They're mentioned in the Bible. But you don't know them. But we know Caleb and we know Joshua because they came back with faith. Because they believed in the Word of the Lord. They saw what the Word does. The Word is ageless and timeless. And when they said the Shema, the word Shema means you listen to the Word and you obey. It's not just to hear it, but you listen and obey. And they were the only two men out of 600,000 men that made it into the Promised Land. Everybody else died in the wilderness. God said, You will not go into your rest, my rest. So here's the thing complaining hearts blind our eyes to the truth. He gives us the truth. Romans 10 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word. It is the Word. It's the Word. His Word is ageless, guys, and it's our authority. But we got a Shemad. If you know Shemad, it means you don't really believe Him. Two guys out of 600,000, are you going to be one of those two guys? Because I'm telling you, there ain't a lot of them. There are not a lot of people that really... uh, It's easy... To say you love God, and I'm seeing guy after guy that I've known. You know, when I was going through training one of the uh, with Leighton Ford, we had 30 people that went through uh, that training. It was, it, was, it was doctor-level training, but I didn't have a seminary degree. But if you had one, you could get your doctors in ministry by going through it. And so there were a lot of seminary guys there, and one of the teachers one day said, you know what, look around you. You see this group of 30? He said in 25 years, and that was about 23 years ago, he said in 25 years, there'll only be three of you probably still in ministry. And I look around at pastors falling like flies in this country because they're putting on a show It's not real in their heart. God's word is ageless and it's our authority. Are we shaming it? Or do we love ourselves more? You know, only you know that. And whatever God's saying to you, here's the question you've got to ask yourself. What am I doing today? Today. Will you hear? Today, will you respond? Are you one of the groups who just said, you know what, I'm all in here. I really believe that He died on the cross. You know what it says in James? Even the demons believe and they shudder. They're ahead of most of us. But will you... Hear and obey. Obedience, guys, is the test of love. If you love him, he says, If you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commandments. We don't get to heaven by keeping his commandments, but we keep his commandments because we get to go to heaven. We're his. Amen. Because of Jesus Christ. Yeah. In other words, we don't earn our salvation by keeping the commandments, but we keep the commandments because we have salvation. As a gift, they did not appreciate what God did for them. They kept wanting something more instead of looking back at what they had. And so I just ask you today, as you go into Thanksgiving next week, think about what He's given you and take a deep inventory of your own life. And what do my actions convey to people? Am I putting God on display? Because as you look at the people of Israel, it's possible for God's, I mean, for you can be with God's people. You can receive provision from God, grace and a common way from God. And you can still be unchanged due to unbelief. I love what Kent Hughes says. He says it's impossible to come, become faithless when you're faithful to Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus like we talked about last week. You fix your eyes on him. He's going to lead you. Doesn't mean perfection. Please don't hear me saying that you're going to be perfect to get there. You have to be perfect. We're not. But what happens when we blow it? We come back to the cross. Where our allegiance is to him. Our eyes are on him. And we want to shema. We want to obey his word. That's what he's saying to these people. And he gives them this example to say, God has been doing this for thousands of years. And he tests people. So if you're in a place of testing, don't complain. Ask. Ask. Ask by all means. But don't grumble. Because he is a gracious, loving God. I look at the air we breathe. I look at the benefits we enjoy. I look at all the things he brings to us. Even the person who has the least here compared to 90% of the world is wealthy and yet we complain because that's what the enemy does if he really loved you he'd give you this over here let's pray